Welcome to Impact Church's podcast with Pastor Travis Hearn. Pastor Travis also serves as the team pastor for the NBA's Phoenix Suns and has served Major League Baseball as the team chaplain for over a decade. Today, he leads us with a powerful and hope-filled message. We're so glad you're tuning in, and we believe that wherever you're listening from, that God will impact your life through today's message. Thank you for joining us today. If you said that prayer and accepted Jesus into your heart, it's the best decision you could ever make. We want to connect and celebrate with you. Visit impactchurch.com for more information about our church and how you can get plugged in here with us. Be sure to subscribe and share today's message with your friends. Thanks for tuning in, and we can't wait to hear how God has made an impact in your life. All right, how many are ready for God's Word today? Come on, we're going to get into the Word. If you're ready, look at somebody and tell somebody, I'm a Jesus freak, and you should be too. Come on, tell somebody, I'm a Jesus freak. Look at somebody else and tell them you're just a freak. Come on, tell somebody. You're just a freak. You're just a freak. Where are my freaks at? Where, where, where are my Jesus freaks at? Come on, where are my Jesus freaks? If you, uh, if you have your Bibles, turn them on. We're going to get in today and uh, we're going to dig into this Palm Sunday message. Before I do, I'm going to pray. Would you close your eyes with me and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is alive, that it's active, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you that your word, God, that we can hide it in our hearts that, as David said, we might not sin against you. God, we thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet. It's a guide into our path that it leads us, it guides us, it shapes us and corrects us and rebukes us. And it also encourages us. It grows us. God, today we ask that you would grow us. We pray this in Jesus' name. We all say Amen, amen, amen. Fist bump somebody and tell them, get me out of this. Come on, fist bump somebody. Tell them, get me out of this. Get me out of this. Get me out of this. Have you ever, have you ever been in a situation? Let me rephrase. Have you ever gotten yourself into a situation and then you pray, God, get me out of this? Come on, raise your hand. If you've ever, I've gotten myself into this situation. I did it. I did. I got myself in this mess. And then I pray, God, get me out of this mess. Have you ever prayed? Have you ever gotten yourself into a situation that's a really, really bad situation? And then you say, God, if you get me out of this, I will never do it again. I'll never go back again. How many have ever prayed that? Come on, be honest. Like, God, please, just this one time, get me out of this traffic ticket, and I will never speed again. God, just this one time, get me out of this situation. I promise, God, I will never, never do it again. I, I, I remember being a freshman in high school, and me and my, me and my homeboy, we're, we're walking down the road, and these two, these two, maybe three senior girls drove by. And, you know, when you're a freshman and the senior girls, like, you know, that's what it's about, right? And so these girls were like, hey, you want to go to a party with us? And we were like, I mean, of course we want to go to a party with you. Now, at this time in my life, I had never been to a party. Is there anybody here that's an Arizona native? Raise your hand. Arizona, born and raised. That's what a native is. You've born, you raised and you still live here. Come on, Arizona natives. So if you're anywhere remotely close to my age, 26 years old, it give or take a couple years in Arizona, we have something we call desert parties. Yeah, anybody know about those? Desert parties. That's when kids go out in the middle of the desert at night and do stupid stuff. They go drink 
and they go smoke whatever's given to them. They just inhale. The desert party experience is, is crazy. I'd never been to a desert party ever before, but it's these senior girls were like, dude, it's on. Let's go. We're going to a party with these totally hot girls that are four years older than us. Let's go. You know how fly we thought we were being with these senior girls in high school. Like we were extra fly. Like I got to testify. Come up in the spot looking extra fly. Does anybody know that song at all? Do you guys know that song, Calvin? Do you guys know that song? Oh, yeah. I got to testify. All right, all right, all right. That's good, Kel. That's good, that's good, that's good. Ah, okay, keep going. I mean, hey, that's cool, too. Come on, let's give these guys one more round of applause. They're so fun. Thank you, guys. You guys are fire. Fire, man. Come up in the spot. If y'all don't know what that is, I'm not going to tell you, but you just... This was the craziest night. So we get in this car with these girls, and we go out to this party, and I've never been to a party. I didn't even know what a party was. I didn't even know what a desert party was, let alone a party. We get out to this party. We get out of the car. There's hundreds of people, and they're in the desert, and there's like this bonfire, and everybody's surrounding the bonfire, and everybody's just drinking and doing stupid stuff. And I get out of the car. I walk over toward the fire, and this guy comes up who's way bigger than me. He's a senior, and he starts trash-talking me, and he starts threatening me. And then as he's threatening me, he fists up, and he just smashed me right in the mouth. It's my first time I've ever been to a desert party. And, of course, I haven't changed much, so I started trash-talking him. Like, that's all you got? Like, you're a senior. I'm only a freshman. That's all you got? I didn't even get a cut. I didn't even get a bruise. You didn't knock me out. You feel good about yourself now? And I'm just trash-talking, and I'm feeling pretty cocky and everything right at that moment. And then all of a sudden, more guys start walking towards me. And I remember in that moment, like, saying, God, if you'll get me out of this, I will never come back to one of these ever again. If you'll get me out of this. I'll never come back to one of these ever again, right? And the girls that we came with, they got in front of everything. And they're like, how dare you? And they're screaming and freaking out. And they're like, get in the car, Travis, we're leaving. And we got in the car and we left. And I got out of there safely. God got me out of there. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that after that night, I ever went back to a desert party? <laughs> Hundreds for sure. Hundreds. I mean, how, how silly are humans? Like, how weak, how surface, how shallow are we as humans? If we say, God, get me out of this, and then we go right back into it. God, get me out of this. I promise I'll never, and then we go right back into it. That is just incredibly insane to me and how human we are. God, get me out of this addiction, but I'm going to go right back to it. God, get me out of this trouble, but I'm going to go right back to it. Get me out of this relationship. Well, if you're married, you're stuck. You can't pray that prayer. God, I'll never drink again. I'll never drink and drive again. I'll never take another hit again. I'll never cheat again. I'll never do it again. If God, just get me out of this. I'll never and I started feeling kind of bad about myself because this is like a cyclical pattern for my entire life until 
I was reminded of what Paul said in Romans chapter 7. I want you to read this with me. Romans chapter 7, verse 15. He said, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Let's read it out loud together. Ready? Here we go. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. How many of you, that's like your life verse? Come on, raise your hand, be honest, right? And I'm thinking like, if this is the words of the Apostle Paul, you and I have no hope at all. Paul's like, man, I don't understand. Now, if you study Romans chapter six, right before Romans chapter seven, he is talking about the battle of our sinful nature versus our spirit nature, our sin man versus our spirit man, the Travis in me versus the God in me. There's this struggle. There's this battle. I keep going back to the old me when God wants to keep growing the new me. There's this struggle. Why do I keep going back to the old ways, to the old habits, to the old thought patterns, to the old fears, to the own guilt, to the old anxiety, to the old shame? Why do I keep going back to my old sin, my own vices. This is what he's talking about. In fact, this is what it says in Proverbs chapter 26, verse 11. Maybe you've heard this verse. He says, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness. Let's read it out loud together. As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool keeps repeating his foolishness. Look at somebody and tell them, some of y'all keep returning to your vomit. Come on, tell somebody. Some of you keep going back to your vomit. You keep going back to your vomit. How many are dog lovers? Raise your hand. You're dog lovers. It's good because dogs are the only pet going to heaven. It's, they're going to be in heaven. Maybe not the only pet. Maybe not the, I exaggerated. Maybe not the only one. All I know is cats will not be in heaven. That's all I know for sure. It's creepy little creatures, <laughs> creepy little creatures. But he says as a dog, I have three dogs. I have two schnauzers. Yep, aw. And I have a golden doodle. Aw. And they're like family. They're literally like other humans in our house. Like we love our dogs. We love our dogs. There's one thing that's super gross about dogs is they eat their own vomit. And I've seen all three of my dogs do that. I've seen my dogs eat the other dog's vomit. And I'm thinking like, who would do that, dudes? Like you should not be doing that. And every time I see something like that happen, I think of this verse and I think of the human nature in all of us, how we keep going back to our old ways, our old sinful ways. Today is the first day of what we call Holy Week. Today is Palm Sunday, as you heard Daniel, our worship leader, mention. Today is Palm Sunday. It's the first day that kicks off Holy Week. This is the most important, the most critical. This is the most important week that we will celebrate or recognize in human history. 2,000 years ago, Palm Sunday kicked off the most important week in our lifetimes. It was a week filled with love. It was a week filled with hate, with betrayal. It was a week filled with confusion. 
A week filled with agony and anguish and heartbreak, but it was also a week filled with celebration. It was during Holy Week that we find the events of the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, the Last Supper, the betrayal of Jesus. We find the arrest of Jesus, the six trials, three civil, three religious that lasted all night into the next day. It's in the week of Holy Week that we find his crucifixion. But thank God we also find his resurrection. We find his resurrection. And so as you read the Bible on Palm Sunday, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey which fulfills a prophecy that was 500 years old that's found in Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 and it's a symbol of peace and it's a symbol of also power that Jesus is the king and not only the king but the king of all kings a 500 year old prophecy that was fulfilled and as he's riding into Jerusalem on this donkey his followers took palm branches and they waved them in the air and they laid them on the ground before Jesus as he rides in like red carpet treatment and they shouted Hosanna would you shout Hosanna ready Hosanna again Hosanna which means Jesus saves. Hosanna means that Jesus is my rescuer. See, this is what Christianity is all about. This is what the Bible is all about. Hosanna, that Jesus say, Hosanna, God get me out of this situation. Hosanna, God saves, Jesus saves. And what I love most about Hosanna is that Jesus saving me isn't based on my promises to him. It's based on his promises to me. So no matter how I got myself in this situation, God still saves. God will never do it again. And you did it again. And God saved you again. God will never do it again. And you did it again. And God saved you again. Because God is a God of promises. Humans break promises. Have you figured that one out? Humans break promises. But God always keeps his promises. He's our savior. He's our rescuer. He gets you out of situations that you got yourself into. He sacrificed his own son for your life. In 2 Timothy, it calls it a ransom. He paid a ransom. He gave his life up as a ransom for your life. He saves us from our sin. He saves us from hell. He saves us from separation with God. He saves us from our own self. He saves us from the enemy. He rescues us from bondage bondage and addiction and fears and guilt and shame. Jesus saved. I'm going to need some help preaching this sermon and the 11 a.m. sermon because y'all just sitting there staring at me today. But I'm trying to tell you that Jesus is our savior. That's why we're here today. Yeah, that Jesus is our savior. You know, the entire Bible is simply a book of rescue missions. Have you ever thought about it like that? It's a book of rescue missions. I mean, if you think about it, God saved and rescued Moses and the Israelites from the Egyptians. God rescued Daniel from the lion's den. God rescued Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. And God also rescues you. The Bible is a book of rescue missions. Hosanna, Hosanna, 
Hosanna. Come on, say it. Hosanna. Shout it. Hosanna. Shout it louder. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. God is our Savior. But I really don't want to preach on Palm Sunday about Palm Sunday. I really want to look at a few events that happened before Palm Sunday. And these events are in the book of John chapter 11 and the book of John chapter 12. And I want to draw out a couple events that keep driving home the point that Jesus saves. And in John chapter 11, there's this cool story because it's these three siblings. And it's Mary, it's Martha, and it's Lazarus. These three siblings, and Jesus is super tight with this family. He loves these people. These are his very, very good friends. Well, one day, Lazarus gets sick. It doesn't look like Lazarus is going to make it. He might die. So the girl sent word out to Jesus. They said, Jesus, the one whom you love is sick. He's not going to make it. We need you to get here or he might not make it. Lazarus is sick and Lazarus might die. And it's interesting because Jesus didn't immediately come back. In fact, it was a couple days later. In fact, it was on day four that Jesus finally comes back. And on day four, as he comes back to the house, Mary runs out and she falls at his feet and she says, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. I don't know if you've ever felt like that, but have you ever felt like, God, you're a little late to the situation? Anybody ever felt like that? God, you're a little late to the situation. God, you're too late. It's already done. It's over now. It's all, nothing can be done now. But how many of you know that God is always on time? God is always on time. God is always. He's never late. Unfortunately, he's never early either, but he's never late. And I know sometimes in your life you feel like, man, God didn't show up. God's not showing up in my situation. God's not showing up in my relationship. God's not showing up in my thought process. God's not showing up like, man, I don't know. I feel like God's not even near. Has anybody felt like that? If you ever felt like God's not near, the question I have for you is, who moved? You or him, because he didn't go nowhere. We know according to the scriptures that God will never, somebody say never, never leave us, never forsake us. We know according to scripture that Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. We know that he is always with us. He's always with us. Jesus, you're too late. He's dead. If only you would have come sooner. He wouldn't have died. And then the other sister, Martha, she piles on it. Jesus, he's already dead. He's been dead for four days. In fact, Jesus, there's an odor now. He's so dead, he smells bad. It's day four. And there is nothing that can be done. But then the Bible says, Jesus walks up to the tomb and he shouts, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. Listen, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus tells them, 
unwrap him and let him go. I don't know if you were here last Sunday, but I preached a sermon on the Valley of Dry Bones called Won't He Do It? And I told you last week that God told me to tell you that there are some dead things in your life that God is going to bring back from the dead. I told you that there are some dry things in your life that God is going to saturate so that it will grow again. Lazarus! Come out. That would be so dope to be there. Mommy comes out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a head cloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Hosanna. Jesus saves. Jesus rescues. Hosanna. Jesus saves. Jesus, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and his feet bound in grave clothes. Listen, this verse hit me so hard this week. This verse right here. Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and feet bound in grave clothes. Here's why it hit me so hard. Because even though Lazarus, was alive, even though God gave him new life, he was still bound on the outside. And that's a lot of people today. Even though God has given you new life, some of you are still so bound on the outside. Even though God has set you free, we still walk in bondage. Even though God has set you free, you choose to still walk in bondage. We continue to walk around bound and we continue to walk around in the old ways, the old habits, the old thought patterns, the old relationships, the old bondage. It's crazy, isn't it, that even though God gave us new life, we continue to walk down the paths that lead to death? Why do we do that? It's just like the Israelites. God set them free from bondage and slavery in Egypt, and they're free. No more slavery. No more bondage. No more oppression. Yet the Israelites said time and time again and complained time and time again that they'd be better off going back to Egypt. Why would you go back to the situations you prayed yourself out of? See, for some of you, God brought you out of Egypt, but you need to get the Egypt out of you. And we continue, we continue to walk with the grave clothes on, but God would tell you to take off the grave clothes and be free. Take off the grave clothes and be free. Unwrap him and let him go. Look at somebody and tell them you need to be free. Come on, tell somebody you need to be free. You need to be free. And then one chapter later in John chapter 12, this is a cool passage. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Chapter 11, chapter 12. 
Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served. Lazarus, he was reclining and playing Xbox with his homies at the table. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it out on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. There's so many things I want to draw out of this passage for a minute. Three siblings, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, they're throwing this house party for Jesus and for the celebration of their brother. They're so happy that Brother Lazzie is alive. Let's throw a party. Laz, you go ahead and recline. We don't want you to die again. You sit there, just chill. And, and I love this. We, we got to continue to, to dig into this. Verse 4, but one of the disciples. There's always like a killjoy in every party. There's always that guy. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Verse five, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Verse six, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was the thief. As a keeper of the money bag, the ministry of Jesus, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So before we continue on, let's just play this out for a minute. So, she takes a bottle of Neiman Marcus's finest perfume. She takes a bottle of Louis V, of Gucci, that costs a year's worth of wages. Now, I want you just for a minute in your mind to think about approximately how much money do you make in a year? Can you think of something? Can everybody got a number? Raise your hand. I know how much I make in a Raise your hand. It, some of you have no idea what you make in a year. Come on. If you can think of a number, raise your hand. I know what I make in one year. Okay, what do you make, sir? No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to answer it. I'm just kidding. Don't answer it. So he said, I'm going to take, imagine, because for, for all of us, it's the same. It's all the same. Whatever you make in one year, imagine taking that as a bottle of perfume. Imagine taking that as a bottle of cologne. It's one year. It would take you one year to make that amount of money. And she takes it and she pours it over the feet of Jesus. See, Mary understood. Mary understood what this was really about. She understood what this was really about. This is about Jesus. But then you have Judas Iscariot. And he's trying to act like something he's not. Man, why did we, why did we just waste that? Man, we could have sold that. We could have given it to the poor. Let's continue on. Verse 8, verse 7. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Verse 9. Meanwhile, meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. 
Look at it with me again. Verse 10. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Did you know that sometimes the devil will deploy an attack on someone close to you because he's actually trying to destroy you? Did you know that the opposite is true as well? That sometimes the devil will deploy an attack on you because he's trying to destroy somebody close to you. He knows if he can get to you, he can get to them. He knows if he can get to them, he can get to you. This is so how the devil works. If you've heard me preach for any time at all, you've heard me say this, that the devil is a pansy. That's what he is. That's who he is. He doesn't fight fair. He takes cheap shots. He throws sucker punches. He blindsides you. Remember, this is what happened to Job. Job lost his kids. Ten of them died. He lost his health and almost died. He lost all of his wealth. His own wife turned against him. Listen, the devil attacked everything close to him. But it wasn't even about them. It was about him. This is not about Lazarus. Lazarus has been raised from the dead. He now has a story about God's glory. He now has a story about what God's done in his life. So the devil says, I got to shut that story up. I got to shut that message down. I got to bring that to a stop. Has nothing to do with Lazarus. It has everything to do with Jesus Christ. Everybody and everything else in Job's case was collateral damage. Everybody else in the case of Christ was collateral damage. Look at, look at what the Bible says. Look at it one more time. He says, for on account of him, many were believing. This fascinates me because I was once not a believer, didn't believe in God, wasn't a Christian, became a believer, believe in God, became a pastor, preacher. But this is, I've thought about this a lot. I've thought about, you can kill the messenger, but you cannot kill the message. You can kill the anointed one, but you cannot kill the anointed. They killed Christ. They killed all the disciples. What were they trying to do? Shut the message down. What did that do? Spread the message around. See, when Christian persecution started in the early church, what did that do? It spread the disciples everywhere. Not the 12, but all the other believers. People ran for their lives. They didn't want to be killed. They ran for their lives to different areas, to different territories. What did that do? Well, what that did over 2,000 years is it now produced a church on Scottsdale Road called Impact Church that you and I worship Jesus Christ together. You can kill the messenger, but you cannot kill the message. And the more you try to kill the message, the more the message continues on. 
it's interesting to me because when you think scripturally about what was happening in the time of Christ, is Jesus came into a scenario that really ruffled the feathers of what was currently happening. So man, if we could just shut this thing down, if we could just shut this gospel down, listen, on account of Lazarus, on account of what God did in his life, on account of what God is doing in his life, they were gonna kill him too. Listen, on account of you, on account of you, because you've got a story like Lazarus about God's glory. How many have a story about God's glory? You can testify. God has done a great work in you. And because of you, there's a target on your back. Because of you. Because listen, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ that dwells within you is the greatest threat to the devil. You are a threat to the devil. I don't know if y'all heard me because you're just staring at me, but you are a threat to the devil. You are more of a threat to the devil than the devil is to you. He wants to shut your mouth. He wants to shut your story down. He wants to shut the mission that God has on your life down. See, there's a target on your back because of what God has done in you. There's a target on your back because of what God is doing in you. There's a target on your back because of what God is going to do in you. There's a target on your back because of God bringing you back from the dead spiritually. There's a target on your life because you're a threat to Satan and his legions. And he's put a target on your back. The devil has put a hit out on you. But you know what? The devil has the same problem that he had with Lazarus that he has with you. Here's the devil's problem is that just just like Lazarus, you happen to be pretty good friends with Jesus Christ, and he is on your side. Hosanna. He saves. He rescues. See, the devil can throw all the punches he wants at me. The devil can put all the hits that he wants on me, but God is my protector. He is my savior. He is my rescuer. Hosanna. I'm coming out of this thing with no cuts, no bruises, no blood, no knockout punches because God is going to get me out of this situation. Hosanna. Hosanna. Keep praying, keep praising, and keep pressing. Keep praying, keep praising, and keep pressing. Come on, let's say it out loud together. Keep praying, keep praising, and keep pressing. Say it a little bit louder. Keep praying, keep pressing. I confused y'all. I got confused first. Then I confused you because confusion follows confusion. Keep praying, keep praising, keep pressing. Fist bump somebody and say we did it that time. Come on, tell somebody we did it that time. I think one of my favorite stories in the book of Acts, you know, it's interesting preaching to this many people at one time 
and online and everything because this is this is why you you have to do this is this is part of my job is that uh, how many have been a Christian for let's say more than 10 years raise your hand okay put your hand down how you been a Christian more than 30 years raise your hand 30 years okay okay 30 years there's a bunch of you how you been a Christian for less than one year raise your hand it's good it's quite a one year come on everybody raise it up raise it up So the trick is, I have to preach a message in such a way that the people who have been saved since Jesus walked earth can be encouraged, edified, and grow, while at the same time preaching to somebody who's been saved for four weeks, and they don't even know what the books of the Bible are. They don't know what the 12 tribes of Israel are. They don't know. You know, you, you talk to a, a new believer, they've never been in church, and you start saying stuff like washed in the blood of the lamb. They're like, dude, I'm out of here. Like, this is a cult. <laughs> Sacrifice. It's like, what are we doing? And so the reason I say that is because not everybody even knows, like, what the book of Acts is. But the book of Acts is the book that story tells the whole beginning of the early Christian church. So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Let's say it out loud. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Those are the four gospels written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Couldn't get creative and come up with a different title. Let's just name it ourselves. And each book is a story tell from their perspective of what happened during the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They're written entirely differently because Matthew was a tax collector and, well, Luke was a physician. And then you had, like, John was just a dude, man, and he was just like a common guy and was one of the closest to Jesus and part of his inner circle. But then you have Acts. Jesus died, he rises again, the birth of the early Christian church. Jesus comes in and he appears to all these people after his resurrection and he says, wait here until you receive the promise of the Father. This is in Acts chapter one, verse eight, Acts chapter two, they're all waiting, they're all praying. Then this move of God happens, this powerful move of God and they start speaking in other tongues and languages that aren't their own. And then Peter stands up and he preaches this fiery message and the Bible says that 3,000 people were added right then to the kingdom of God. And then like a chapter or two later, 5,000 more are added and you have this massive growth of the early church. This is what happened in the early church. And the gospel began to spread from city to city, church to church. And the apostle Paul, a lot of people don't know, was a hater of Christianity and he was a hater of Jesus Christ until he became a Christian and in love with Jesus Christ. Then he became probably one of the most powerful people for Jesus Christ that has ever lived. Eventually he was martyred for the cause of Christ. But the book of Acts is a great book. It's a storytelling book. It's very easy to read, but in Acts chapter 16, I wanna share this story with you. And I'm gonna read 
quite a few verses here. I think starting in verse 22, it says the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and he fastened their feet in the stocks. And about midnight, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a great violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for the lights, he rushed in and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and he said, sirs, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke to the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. I could preach a couple sermons on this and I have, but there's some things that just, they really make me happy in this passage. One is these guys found themselves in a really bad situation. And the Bible doesn't say, and Paul and Silas complained and murmured because life isn't fair. And they got dealt a bad deck of cards in life. And not only are they in prison, but they're in the inner prison, the dungeon of the dungeons. And not only are they in the dungeon, but they're shackled to the wall because they're so dangerous for preaching God's love. And I love that instead they decided to praise God. Because see, some of you here today, you're in a bad space. You might've got yourself there, somebody else, they might've taken you there. You're in a bad place. It feels like a prison. It feels dark. It feels like a dungeon. Man, I'm in a bad place. Maybe it's not fair. Maybe you got dealt a hand of cards that is not fair. And it's so tempting to complain, isn't it? It's so tempting to gripe and complain. But I love that it says they, they, they decided to praise God. And then I love this. It says the other prisoners were listening. Because you know what? When you're going through hell, the people around you, they're watching you. They're watching you, woman of God. They're watching you, man of God. How does he respond? How does she respond? says the other prisoners were listening. And then I love this part where at once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. See, sometimes I think we are so self-centered and we're so selfish that we think that prayer is about answering our needs. We think that praise is about lifting my own spirit. But when you read this scripture in context, this man's praise was not even about them. This man praising God, Paul and his apprentice Silas, they begin to praise God 
And because of their praise, everybody else is set free. Sometimes I think we get like entrenched and trapped in our own little prison and we can't think of anything else other than ourselves. But could it be that you're going through what you're going through today because God wants to reach somebody else that's watching you? He wants to reach a family member, a coworker, a teammate, a classmate, a neighbor. See, this is how God works. And then the final piece, I love this. It says that the jailer, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. It's like, dude, I did a really bad job. I was supposed to keep my eye on all these guys. And now they're going to escape. I think I'll kill myself. <laughs> and I like Paul goes, we're still all here. You know, they could have left. He's like, bro, it's cool. We're still here. Because even though they could have left sooner, God wasn't doing, done doing what he wanted to do. And then it goes to say, not only did the jailer get saved, but his whole family gets saved. And it's this domino effect for the kingdom because Jesus saves. He is Hosanna. He saves, he rescues us. That is the gospel. That is what it is about. Jesus saved, Hosanna. And then I want to close today with top five favorite passages in the Bible. Top five. Psalm 91. Psalm 91 is a passage of God's saving grace and his rescuing abilities. My, my mother, by the way, if you're a mama today, my mother told me as I became a young man that she prayed this over my life, every day of my life as a child. Psalm 91. Ready? Here we go. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress and my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only see with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked if you say, the Lord is my refuge. If you say, the Lord is my refuge. Well then, let's say it. The Lord is my refuge. And you make the most high your dwelling. No harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Verse 12, they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him. For he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. 
and I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. And with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. How about a round of applause for Jesus and his word? It's what I want you to do. Would you stand to your feet with me and would you close your eyes as we as we close? And, and, and to me, just so everybody knows, to me, this is the most important moment of every service right now. So this is what I want you to do for just a minute is we have plenty of time. We're a little bit early. But I want you to close your eyes. And, and if you feel comfortable, I want you to lift your hands to the Lord. And I said this last week, you know, not everybody's done this or comfortable with it, but it's not as weird as we make it out to be. It's simply a sign of surrender to Jesus. So God, with our hands lifted, Lord, we, we stand here before you. And God, we want you to know that we surrender. And God, we need a savior. We need a rescuer. Hosanna, we need you, Hosanna. 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 God, save us. If you're here today and you've never prayed to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, I want you to do that right now and just say, Jesus, today, I give you my life. Thank you for dying and giving me your life. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for grace and mercy. Thank you for joining us today. If you said that prayer and accepted Jesus into your heart, it's the best decision you could ever make. We want to connect and celebrate with you. Visit impactchurch.com for more information about our church and how you can get plugged in here with us. Be sure to subscribe and share today's message with your friends. Thanks for tuning in and we can't wait to hear how God has made an impact in your life.